Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to mute you, Tony. And then Hi, this back. is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Making Inspired Choices with Coach Linda. I'm your host, Linda Stevens-Jones, a certified Christian life coach. I'm delighted that you're here with me today. I warmly welcome everyone to the broadcast, and I especially want to welcome our first-time listeners to the show. It's great to have you with us. Come back again for an hour of uplift and encouragement every first and third Tuesday right here at 12 noon Eastern. And greetings to all of you who are not here live today, but who are listening to this broadcast as a replay later. You can use iTunes for a download or the link to um, new listeners. So anytime you want to get an hour of uplift and encouragement, you can download this broadcast on iTunes. There's no cost. Just go to the iTunes store, type in podcast, and then the name of the show, Making Inspired Choices. That way, you can listen to episodes when you're out walking or on the treadmill or doing chores at your home. (laughs) Whenever you're listening, I'm glad you tuned in for a really great topic and guest today. Before I get into today's topic, let me send a huge thanks to my last guest, Dr. Michael Marks, founder of Blazing New Trails Coaching and the past president of the Christian Coaches Network International. We had a wonderful discussion on Test Your Limits. I encourage you to go back and hear his powerful, yet very simple strategies to live more fully than you ever have. And now for today's topic. We are celebrating Women's History Month. And we're honoring the courage and contributions of women to the development and strength of our nation. I want to applaud the known and unknown women pioneers for all that they have sacrificed in history and right up to today, undeterred by the size of their challenge or the mountain that they faced. They pursued possibility beyond what they had a frame of reference for, a nation that was more equal, inclusive, and as a result, with more opportunities for every citizen. So in honor of the sheroes of this country, I chose for today's topic, dwell in possibility. I chose this quote from a poem by Emily Dickinson, to capture what women in this country have always done. They've been visionaries who saw beyond what the naked eye could see, 
possibility. Sometimes circumstances seem dismal, but they dare to see possibility and opportunity. They pushed and persevered through obstacle after obstacle, challenge after challenge. And frankly, that tenacity continues to change things in this country today. I must add here, when I think of women trailblazers who right up to today are often finding ideas and possibilities while they're growing their skill sets in their workplaces, well, at the same time, many of them are maintaining their responsibilities for all of the homemaking and child-rearing duties in their homes. Yes, I said all. (laughs) In some instances, as single heads of households, and in some cases, when they have or had spouses who did not share in the family life responsibilities. So, ladies... We see you, we appreciate you, and the powerful differences you make in this nation. Now, you know I always want the topic to be applicable to you, right? So in what areas of your life do you dwell in possibility? If nothing comes to mind, what if you choose an area and dwell in what's possible rather than what is right now? You've got amazing examples in history and all around you on how, even under impossible circumstances, you can make change happen in your life. What options? and opportunities could you consider for your life today and going forward? As a coach, I sincerely believe it's about what you focus on. When you only focus on what's not working right now, you dwell there. But if you opt to adjust your outlook, and consider possibility, even when you're not sure yet how to make it happen, you're on your way to a change in your situation. If you haven't seen um, uh, examples around you of people who are uh, trailblazing and powering through in history, Catch the movie Hidden Figures. It shows some incredible examples of just what I'm saying. If you are um, in a situation, if you are in a place in your life that you're not happy with, dwell on possibility. And remember, you can always ask and rely on the Holy Spirit to bring to mind possibilities that you have not yet considered. Okay? Well, 
I know that the guest that I have today is someone who epitomizes dwelling in possibility. I love her like a sister. Let me introduce her right now so you can hear from her. My guest today is Tony Towns Whitley. She is Corporate Vice President of Worldwide Public Sector and Industry at Microsoft, where she leads company strategy for driving digital transformation across public sector and commercial industry partners, customers and partners in support of Microsoft's mission to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. In addition to championing innovative technology adoption and creating business value for industry customers, Towns Whitley is passionate about creating positive societal and global impact in keeping with Microsoft's enduring values and desire to fuel meaningful societal impact through cloud technology that is trusted, responsible, and inclusive. Prior to joining Microsoft, Towns Whitley was president of CGI Federal, where she was responsible for a portfolio of more than a billion dollars, leading 6,600 employees in more than 70 countries to deliver greater value to U.S. government civilian, defense, and intelligence sectors. Before CGI, Towns Whitley held several management roles at Unisys Corporation, leading global public sector systems integration and the Federal Civilian Group, where she achieved 500% revenue growth and doubled profitability. Towns Whitley is a graduate of Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School and has received certifications from Wharton Executive Education, New York University, and the Performance Management Institute. She is a director on the boards of United Way, the Women's Center of Northern Virginia, and the Leadership Foundry an organization that prepares women to serve on corporate boards. She continues to support the U.S. Peace Corps, where she volunteered for three years, serving as a village teacher in Central Africa. Town Whitley and her husband have five children and two grandchildren. In her spare time, Town Whitley enjoys writing, and is finishing her first screenplay. Tony Towns Whitley, welcome to the Making Inspired Choices radio show. It is such an honor to have you as my guest today. Thank you, Coach Linda. I hope you can hear me, and it's just fantastic to join you today, particularly on Women's History Month and with this amazing uh, subject that you have brought forward on dwelling in possibility. Love it. Yes, awesome. As we've discussed, you know, this broadcast was designed to give uplift and encouragement to the audience. With this being Women's History Month, it's especially wonderful for the audience to hear from someone who has walked the talk of blazing trails like yourself and to be prompted to think about the kinds of choices they are making for themselves. 
So let's get started. Tell us where you grew up and what your growing up years were like. Well, I'm a military brat. I'm a very proud daughter of uh, an army uh, who re- an army soldier who who uh, retired as a three-star general and uh, began his career mm-hmm. as a non-commissioned officer. And and really, he was a trailblazer for what it meant when opportunities weren't as available for African American uh, men at that mm-hmm. time in the military, and how he was able to continually be pulled uh, up, up, up into more and more senior ranks. Um, and I'm the daughter of a school principal who as well uh, had an amazing career uh, of taking blazing new trails in education and particularly elementary education throughout Fairfax County, Virginia. But um, mm-hmm. for me, I grew up uh, born in Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, traveled uh, as a military child to many different posts from from Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, Fort Dix, New Jersey, Fort Knox, Kentucky, as well as staying off post in, in Springfield, Virginia, and uh, Syracuse, New York, and other parts, uh, Berlin, Germany. And so uh, as a military daughter, we learned very quickly that we needed to be agile. We needed to be able to pack and move within a 12-month cycle. Uh, that our parent, that my father's career and my mother's willingness to sacrifice her own career to support him became part of just the ethos of the family. And as we moved, we learned uh, that we needed to be able to make friends quickly, to adapt quickly, and to gain the best from the situation, but also, quite frankly, uh, to look forward and to not get stuck in any one place too long that we would, we would really be um, just devastated about the next move. And so we learned that lesson early. And I think it, uh, for my brother and I, I think it's been one that we've just been able to um, experience as adults now and hopefully uh, leverage in other parts of our lives. Mm, okay. Yes. Being able to, just have an adaptive personality and spirit, I'm sure, uh, has served you well. Um, you know, our core values as adults are often shaped by how we grow up. Um, what are some of the core values that drive your life today, Tony? Well, you know, I, I believe in core values, and in fact, I think those core values have to be set in advance of facing crises. Because uh, when you're in the crisis, when you're in the storm, you're in default mode, and you will default to what has been set, what has been pre-programmed, just like a computer defaults. And and I have some Mm -hmm. some pre-programming that I'm thankful to my parents, our extended family, and our church for the pre-programming. Pre-programming of verses like to whom much is given, much is required, the sense Mm -hmm. of service and volunteerism, pre-programming that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, pre-programming around it's not about me but something much larger than me that's part of this equation, sort of Mm pre-programming around how my steps could be ordered and this Mm -hmm. idea that not only do we need to have a plan, but we need to be open to adjust that plan to different opportunities. And so when I think about the core values, when I share them at at Microsoft with my team as well as with customers and partners as I meet, one of those core values is around source of joy. It's around remembering where is the source of my joy. 
And when I remember that, I'm reminded that what I do is different from who I am, and I'm never never to get those two confused, and that my source of joy mm-hmm. comes from a place that not my job can't give me that, nor can, quite frankly, others in society or some form of recognition, that the source of joy comes back to my faith, and, and since it is the source, it can't be stripped by those other institutions either. And so when I'm in my more difficult times, I'm reminded that that source of joy. So that's, that's one that I, I carry with me. Another, uh, Coach Linda, would be around feedback. I'm one who believes in surgical feedback. I believe that feedback mm-hmm. should be um, precise, pinpointed, and, and very straightforward in, the, in its delivery. Not meant mm-hmm. to harm, but meant to heal and to help people move forward. Um, I don't mm-hmm. believe in long surgery. I believe in short surgery when the feedback <laughs> is difficult. But I also believe in positive feedback. And I find sometimes, in fact, women in the workplace that feast on negative feedback. In fact, developmental feedback is what they're listening for all the time. I say this to my female mm-hmm. protégés quite a bit. They're always listening for developmental feedback. But when they get positive feedback, they want to move quickly past it. And I say that positive feedback is, in fact, a direction on what to exploit, what to move even more into that category. So I'm always looking to not only give surgical feedback, but to give balanced feedback. And I'm really encouraging those who receive that feedback to take the, the positive feedback as a directional point to further and excessively go in that direction we can spend a lot of time fixing all things that are wrong, or we could also spend just as much time exploiting things that are that are working well. And sometimes we have a tendency to look at the former versus the latter. Whoa, audience! What I'm I'm taking notes here myself. That <laughs> is uh, that is a lot to chew on. I hope you all are taking notes. Um, I just want to reiterate you're saying what you do is different than who you are. Yes. Everybody in the yes. audience who's listening, write that down. What I do is different than who I am. We can sometimes get it so enmeshed that we feel that we are what we do for a living. Whew. And you know, Coach Linda, when I travel around the world, one of the reasons that I enjoy being in a global role is because in different cultures, uh, the greeting is very different. It's interesting in the in the U.S. and the very Western cultures, within the first two questions, you have, what do you do? But when you mm-hmm. were traveling, I'm just back from Nairobi in Kenya and mm-hmm. was just at a conference there and It's interesting, the first few questions are always about where you're from and who your people are. Who do you belong to? Mm. And that's much more important Mm. than what you do. And I just find it to be really enforcing and reinforcing that when we need to separate who we are from what we do, Mm -hmm. that we assume sometimes that that's the first thing that's on people's minds. And in fact, different parts of the world, it's actually way down the list, which I'm actually encouraged by um, to know that there are more parts to us than what we do every day. I, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> I, um, I think the idea, the very idea that you raise, um, particularly 
um, about women and that, you know, even it comes out very strongly in terms of this, um, I'm a work in progress, so to speak. Um, Give me the feedback on where I need to improve, where am I deficient, but you hit the nail on the head when you said that when it's positive feedback, <laughs> they will quickly move right along to, okay, what, where else do I need to work? What what else am I? Um, I, I see that uh, very often. And to our audience, I think it's really noteworthy. And I think, um, Tony, tell me if you would agree that women who have uh, amassed success or who have, you know, uh, taken advantage of different opportunities have, as you said, exploited their strengths and what's working for them and not so much dwelling on the areas where they need to improve. I mean, not dwelling on these are the things that don't work well for me, but they they see possibility in Yes, uh, what strengths they bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. That. That's why I love your theme, dwell in possibility, because it's really about what you focus on, what you celebrate, mm-hmm. and what you remember. And if you focus mm-hmm. on the possibility, if you celebrate when that possibility, when things that were maybe deemed impossible or significant challenges, when you forge that particular river or you climb that particular mountain, and then you you really can celebrate that moment or that event or that collective uh, outcome. That's mm-hmm. where you start to get the muscle around possibility, because you've got mm. you've got memory now. Just like those core values, you will default when people say no or you can't mm-hmm. or gosh, it's too difficult. You will default mm-hmm. back to gosh, if I think back, I've heard that before. Hmm, I've seen this before, yeah. different form, different person, different time, but I've heard this. This is not new, mm-hmm. and I have a track record. I have a track record of, or my team has a track record of always vaulting mm-hmm. over this particular obstacle. So absolutely, well, why don't we just say yes? Why don't we just say yes? Mm. I love that uh, audience, we have someone here today who has the street cred (laughs) of uh, dwelling in possibility, not someone who is talking about things she doesn't know. Um, You have so much to give us. One of the things that I thought would be great to ask, and I hope that the audience can grab a hold of is, and you've shared much of it already through your own core values, Thinking back over your life, um, is there any particular life lesson or a past experience that you feel uniquely prepared you for the work that you're doing now at Microsoft? Well, you know, it's a uh, thank you for the question, uh, Coach Linda. It's a range of experiences, I would say. There are a few that stand mm-hmm. out because when I people ask me about the job at Microsoft, I say it's a full body workout. It requires every aspect of everything I've done. Uh, It's it's like a contact sport. Everything I've done personally, professionally, uh, over my career, I'm using at Microsoft. Um, Mm. uh, Having a team that sits in 120 countries 
boy, it's good that I was a military brat having traveled. It's good that I lived on the equator in the Peace Corps having to learn about cross-cultural values. Um, it's just mm-hmm. the agility and the – it's a good thing I was an athlete in school because you need that physical stamina to to stay on planes and, and uh, to uh, live on British airways um, for as long <laughs> as you do traveling. And and just the mental stamina. Um, I'm glad that I was an economist. I was trained with economics before technology because the models that um, are so important today as we move into a digital economy – uh, they are as much business models as they are technology attributes. So I'm really trying to use um, everything, raising kids, um, being a mother, mm-hmm. being a wife, a daughter, and a sister, all aspects in, in the day-to-day. But when I think of a couple of specific uh, things that were turning points, I'll, I'll tell you one was in the Peace Corps. Um, as a mm-hmm. 23-year-old, I I traveled to Gabon in Central Africa um, with uh, some command of the the language there, speaking French and having studied French. And I really came with a certain sense that as an African-American, I was I was I was almost returning to some sense of homeland and and that I was going to have mm-hmm. a certain kind of experience. I, I came with the arrogance of a 23-year-old that I was going to solve all the problems of the village and my teaching was going to be just erudite and I was I just really had this sort of over the top mm-hmm. expectation of my my <laughs> peace corps service. And mm-hmm. as I got to the village um and I started to work with um some of the women in the village, we, we had a long walk to get water. It was a fairly long walk, about three kilometers round trip, to go get water, mm-hmm. to wash up in the river. And I found that this walk was not as efficient as it could have been. And with my Western thinking, I thought, wow, if we could just use the rainwater that came so heavily down on the tin roofs, and I could just capture mm-hmm. this rainwater at every, at every house, at every home, we wouldn't have to make this walk to the water. It just was, it was a long period of the day and all of the women walked and it was heavy carrying the water back. And I said, gosh, we're going to, we're going to do this project. So I went forward to get money from the U S embassy and I did a women in development project. And we, we built water stations and, and roughly 33 water stations in a couple of villages with women. But what I realized was one, I disrupted, I disrupted the village because I introduced uh, very, very expensive for that village tools and and things that um, kind of disrupted some of the the marriages, quite frankly, with women having tools that they mm. could sell the tool and have as much money as their husband earned in a year, wow. and it started to disrupt marriages. Yeah. Oh, I was I was wow. just totally headstrong about my my project and and what I what I found after three months of building water stations was that I had created a village that looked like uh, almost an urban city in in the West. No one left their homes. Uh, Mm. They had their water. Nobody came out. We didn't have festivals in the middle of the village. We didn't walk. We didn't even really talk as much during the day, the women. And what I realized for that was that I was solving a problem that was, in my view, a problem because that three-kilometer walk was way too long, the water was way too heavy, and there was an efficient Mm -hmm. way to address it. What I didn't realize Mm -hmm. is the walk was not about the water. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the walk was about women of many generations teaching each other what it was to be a Gabonese woman. 
the walk was a was a was a rite. It was a it was like a um, a rite of passage for young girls. It was mm. it was sacred. It was special time. And in my Western thinking, I was worried about how much time it took, and yet the time was mm-hmm. the gift that the women were giving each other. So I've used that, and I had, of course, I had to go back and apologize to all the men in the village, and I had to go back and repair <laughs> some relationships. And but you know, those stations are still there. They're, this is almost thirty years ago, actually over wow. thirty years ago, and I've been told through different um, reports through the uh, Agency for International Development that the stations are there. And they're used by older women. They're used when babies are sick. But they still walk Mm -hmm. to the water. The women still walk Mm -hmm. because the walk meant something. And that's what I've learned when I consult around the world, particularly around technology, is that we all have a bias. We all have a blind spot. We all believe Mm -hmm. we're seeing something a certain way, but there's always a lens. And you need Mm -hmm. to, we need to humble ourselves to learn why is it that things that we see are inefficient? might have a different purpose and a different value attached to them. So it slowed down my mm-hmm. thinking, hopefully reduced some of my arrogance, uh, got me a bit humble about making sure I'm always aware of not only my bias, but the biases around me so that I can mm-hmm. really understand a situation and think before I make a recommendation. Hopefully that's been applied through the consulting I've been doing over the last 25 years since then. But but that was really a, a wake-up call for a 23-year-old, far from home, on the equator, in a small village. What a powerful lesson, though, to apply over the rest of your years up to today. Um, you 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 got a tremendous return on investment there. It sounds like. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, well. As a senior leader in corporate America, um, because we're talking possibility thinking, dwelling in possibility, how do you encourage creative thinking or how do you invite possibility thinking at Microsoft? Well, you know, Microsoft has a a legacy as a 42-year-old company that was founded on this sort of sense of innovation, really creating Mm -hmm. a market before a market existed. And so, so much of that is, is core to the culture. It's a, it's a build culture. It's an engineering culture. It's an innovative culture. And so uh, not hard to get, that, to get that sort of spirit moving at, there at Microsoft because of its, uh, its legacy. But, but it's also a culture and a company that's come under great competitive pressure over the last 10 to 15 years. And when you've mm-hmm. been first to the market, being in a competitive environment and watching all the change of technology and so many new players that are disrupting the market, it can start Mm -hmm. to create uh, almost a sense of fear or trepidation. I think of Microsoft Mm -hmm. as a 42-year-old person. It's not just a company. At 42, you start to realize, gosh, wait a minute, I have to do things a little, I've got to work smart, not just long. Uh, You know, there are Mm -hmm. others that are younger, that are faster, that are cuter, that are moving um, and you start to think about your legacy and how and what you what you want to stand for and as a company uh, under our, our, our CEO Satya Nadella this this mission statement is what I've been using as a as a real call to action and rallying cry for the creativity and the scale that Microsoft can can provide when you have a mission statement that says we're going to empower every person that's 7.4 billion people on the planet and every organization, thousands and thousands of organizations. It's not a small remit. 
And, and we literally talk about this daily, daily. What could we do with our partner ecosystem, with our technology? Just think of a cell phone. When I was in Kenya, 34% of the people in Kenya using a cell phone to pay, to pay for all of their services, um, just using the phone as a, as in, in lieu of a credit card. We look at what it means to address this many people on the planet and it's very inspiring to believe that we have technologies that can, in fact, at some point eradicate cancer or at some point change the way we handle daily uh, routine operations, can change healthcare with artificial intelligence and, and maybe could, could really start to address you know, awful, awful um, institutions like human trafficking in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. that use the same technology to further, to further these these negative acts towards towards humankind. And so, I'm inspired, and I and I try to inspire my team around our mission because I find it to be unique. I find it to be um, huge in its scale, uh, almost overwhelming, and yet. We mm-hmm. see it. I, I, I work in an area where I can see the impact of that technology. As an example, I was at the UN this last uh, General Assembly. I met with 160 refugee women from the refugee crisis in Syria, and I just had a chance to interview them at Microsoft office. And, you know, I listened to these women, and they were telling me about life in the refugee camp and um, like what it was to be uh, countryless and nameless and identityless and and they said, you know, don't wow. teach us how to sew in the camps. Teach us how to code. Teach us how to give us skills that will help us catapult into the future. And wow, what a moment to just mm. bring the creativity of what Microsoft has to bear and dwell in possibility for here these mm. nameless, countryless women that have said, look, we can learn through digital literacy to create our own future and, and, be, and have our own destiny through some of the work that Microsoft can do. So it's very inspiring right now to be um, at a company like Microsoft, but also in the midst of a technology conversation as the world is pivoting around, around technology in ways it never has. So I find it energy-giving. Um, and for Microsoft, I, I think we're, we're really circling around this mission statement as a, a way to really think about impact in everything that we build. How, what, what impact mm. does it have? I love hearing about just the potential or the possibilities, um, and I love that being in you know the the very mission of Microsoft helping people and organizations, everyone on the planet to achieve more. That mm-hmm. is that is uh, as global as it gets. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. <it> is. <laughs> um. Well, I I could talk to you um, on this subject all day, but I, as always, I like to have my audience have a chance to um, hear in terms of uh, personally a person who, as yourself, you know, you've you're a corporate vice president for Microsoft. You have doubled your revenue at another company that you've led. You're traveling the world. My audience is. Um, I think, and I certainly do, think of a person who hears your biography as blessed and accomplished. 
Um, but they don't necessarily recognize that blessed and accomplished people like yourself have also endured major life challenges. I get feedback from listeners often that they are encouraged not to hear, uh, you know, difficulties in people's lives, but they're encouraged when guests talk about their own personal walks through challenges and hardships, and especially, you know, that they persevered through the hardships and how they persevered. Would you be willing to share a time when you faced a personal trial and what helped you to get through um, that period? Absolutely. And and the fact that I would need to select, think about which trial to, to bring forward hopefully sends the message that there's a season of trials. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I when I... When I think about, uh, there was someone at work the other day who said, I really want you to be my mentor because you are my, uh, you know, sort of my hero. And I thought, wow. I I kept looking in the mirror like, who are you talking to? That's not who I see (laughs) most of the time. And, in fact, I'm always saying that to others. And so, you know, it's always this this idea that we see people and think, you know, that's something I'm aspiring for or I'm trying to get to. but. Those people, if you had a moment with them and just had a coffee, you would find out that's not how they see themselves, and that's not the the, the life that they they may uh, paint for you. Um, as I've said, you know, as starting off as a military threat, as amazing as that life is, it can put a lot of pressure on families. And I'm thankful to my parents mm-hmm. who are still married 57 years, almost 57 years later, that they created that mm-hmm. bond. But for many, they this idea of not having a home and bouncing around, it can be really, really disconcerting. And, and so I think it can create some, some, some trials early on. I, I will say that mm-hmm. um, I mentioned Peace Corps as one, which was a, just an amazing time of learning. I remember back even mm-hmm. at Princeton when I decided to study economics, there were very few women, very few women in the program. And in fact, in my second precept, the professor uh, sort of reminded me that there were other disciplines that I could follow and that I might should look at sociology or another discipline. And, really? You know, that, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of, lot of pressure on uh, being in economics and being one of the few women at that time. And so, you know, my reaction to it was that of sort of the athlete's reaction to being challenged was, Oh, let's you know, let's take it. Let's take the ball above the rim now. Oh, really? You're going to say <laughs> I can't do this? Yeah. I mean, my first reaction was to come back pretty strong, and some of that was because of really growing up and watching, you know, my my mom and dad. I call my mom a mother warrior. You know, when you're military mm. and you're you're carrying your own files around. I remember we landed at a school once, and they were going to put us in remedial classes. My brother and I, because they just they said they didn't have our files. Our files didn't right. make it. And my mother's first reaction was, and I'll never forget it, she said, you know, if you don't have my children's information, put them in the honors class. And if they don't make it, move them down. Why would you start them in remedial and move them up? So that was always my reaction to challenge was put me in the honors class. And if I don't make it, you know, I'll I'll, I'll go down. Mm -hmm. But don't don't start Mm -hmm. me at the bottom. And so that sense of challenge, uh, response to challenge, I I remember. I mean, probably in – 
And so all the way through, through corporate America, there were many challenges of being uh, the only woman in, in, in the room, the only African-American mm-hmm. person in the room. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I was asked at, at different diversity events to s- sit at the woman's table and the African-American table. I kept saying I, <laughs> I actually wake up both every morning. So, wow. you know, maybe I could straddle <laughs> the two tables, but wow. pretty hard. Um, the reaction of male colleagues, um, sometimes being spoken over and people trying to mm-hmm. interpret my words or helping, helping me deliver something. And, helping you to and say I also help me to say it. And, you know, I used humor as part of that. Everybody has their own way. I remember saying uh-huh. to one of my bosses that English was my first language and I was, I felt pretty proficient in it. I pretty much thought everybody understood what I was saying. Now, look, I'm not saying that as advice to all. You have to know your circumstance, but I've used humor as a way sure. of trying to demonstrate to people what this experience has been. Probably one of the bigger challenges though, you know, on a, on a heavier note, quite frankly, uh, was a few years ago, actually in the DC market when um, based on, a uh, classmate at Princeton that ended up being our first lady and a friendship that was 30 years old. Um, I was, I was working mm-hmm. for uh, a system integrator. Yeah, I was working for a system integrator that had a contract that another, um, another one of my colleagues was able to land uh, a contract. And, and somehow there was an inappropriate and uh, incorrect assumption made that somehow uh, somehow my relationship was part of that contract and had nothing to do with me. Mm. And in fact, um, there's so many, so many people that have been part of the first lady's uh, walk. And, and yet it, it was a combination of bad reporting, incorrect information and inflammatory language that just went viral on the uh, social media to the point that I got, I really got threats and, and really hateful messages. And, and, you know, it just caught me totally off guard. I had no idea that anyone would make the con- – and even with, when, when um, presenting the actual facts of the case, it was of no mm-hmm. interest to, to some. They had just sort of made their, made their yeah, conclusion, maybe. and that was a difficult time. It was difficult, uh, reporters trying to reach out to my kids, and it was just a, a time that I could have never prepared for, nor would I have mm-hmm. ever – I was so ridiculous in my, my mind that I thought, this is just going to go away. Well, it didn't go away, not as quickly mm-hmm. as you would have assumed. And so mm-hmm. that's when you fall back on the core values we talked about. That's exactly when – this idea of who I am and what I do are absolutely separate. Mm-hmm. That's when friends mm-hmm. and family stand around you and your reputation stands for you and you decide to not answer certain questions. There are certain things you don't respond to because they're not worthy mm-hmm. of your response. And that's how I kind of got through that season. But it, it was definitely a low and uh, I remember feeling like, wow, you search my name and all of this stuff comes up and the fact that none of it's true, is there anyone who's Mm. going to curate this? Is there anybody who's going to, you know, all the justice in me was like, isn't somebody going to come and apologize? And at the end of the day, there was finally a retraction in small font written, you know, four months later. And I thought, wow, this is all that's required. Hmm. That is a lot, Tony. What? I I always like to, you have already talked about faith being a key um, on your core values. I just want to 
ask, what role did faith play in your having to persevere through that challenge of false reporting and uh, negative, uh, intentional negative uh, assumptions being made about you? Well, you know, uh, my first reaction was to just basically uh, kind of lock myself in the house and stay in my bathrobe. (laughs) And I was just, I was really just, I could not believe that this could happen. I kept thinking, well, I'm sure, you know, uh, some form of civility and and um, mm-hmm. uh, accuracy and professionalism will prevail. And when it didn't, mm-hmm. um, that's actually when I, I started to go back to the verse that had been the mantra, prayed over me all my life, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And I'd always mm-hmm. thought of that in terms of volunteerism and service. But then I said, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. what is required of someone who's been blessed every day of their life? who has parents that remind her and a husband that reminds her and children that remind her that she's wonderful every day of her life. How, how, what is actually required? And maybe it's not just service. Maybe it's the acknowledgement that you're going to take some stripes too and that you Mm -hmm. have to stand and not be ashamed of what you believe in the midst Mm -hmm. of this challenge. And so Mm -hmm. in lieu of kind of Hank, you know, closing my door and shutting myself in, I literally went to a uh, women's conference for the Women's Center, uh, one of the wonderful organizations here in Northern Virginia that I've always supported. And uh, Mm -hmm. the then head, the executive direction, would you be willing to share your story? And I thought, Mm -hmm. let's go on the offensive, right? Let's go there. And so somehow in a packed house, I was able to tell the story and what it is to stand um, and not Mm -hmm. live in fear um, how to get through these kinds of moments. And so it shifted the equation. And I know that that was through prayer. That was through the voices and the, and the, the well wishes of so many uh, believers who were uh, really, really rooting for me at that time, but also just getting quiet and getting in my prayer closet mm-hmm. and just hearing from the Lord that it's time to stand. Stand on what I know is right. Stand on the truth. And, in fact, don't defend yourself publicly. Just stand, and I'll bring mm-hmm. it to you. I'll bring that redemption. And, and, it, and it did come. It came through that opportunity to kind of share the story in a public, uh, in a public venue that was offered to me mm-hmm. that I didn't have to go find. And so, yeah, I, the, the, ah. I think faith is the underpinning for not only who we are but how we operate. And I, I try to work to the glory of God. So if I think of my job not – as a job of who I am, but a job that can honor who I believe in, then, uh, then even the challenges in the job, I have to take those and say, okay, how can we use this to still glorify you? And, uh, and so many women came up to me, Coach Linda, after that saying, I've been through mm-hmm. something like this. Thank you for standing. Thank you for not overly defending yourself. Thank you for not taking dumb questions and trying to answer questions that shouldn't be asked. Thank you for your reputation. Thank you for that. And, and you know, I learned a lot through that experience. Audience, that is, if, if you are, um, as I'm imagining, Tony is giving us so much to ponder You know, when we are in the midst of a challenge, there is a time to, you know, I'm going to take from what you said, Tony, getting quiet and hearing from the Lord. 
you know, when we are in the thick of it, often we are in an information gathering and planning out our defense and and telling anybody we can tell that it didn't happen the way uh, it's being reported. And a lot of that is noise. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, I call noise distractions. And the fact that you have the uh, the faith to get out of the noise, to go and get quiet and hear from the Lord and let him tell you to just stand and that he, in fact, would deliver you. Audience, I pray that this is one of your key takeaways from our talk today. Powerful, powerful, Tony. Um, I... uh, I'm going to, right now, as we continue to talk, I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines to see if we have any um, of our audience who want to get in on our conversation. Audience, I I can feel it through the ways that you are um, just being lifted and inspired by all of these powerful nuggets that Tony is sharing. So it's your turn to get in on the conversation. I'm inviting you to call and tell us what's on your mind, what is touching you about this discussion. Um, all you have to do is dial in, call one six four six seven one six nine three nine seven if you want to get in on this conversation. We'd love to hear from you. That's one six four six seven one six. Nine three nine seven. I'm I'm feeling. I will tell you um, in transparency. I'm feeling just a little overwhelmed by the powerful uh, sharing and transparency that you're offering, Tony. Um, I'm thinking right now that <clears throat> being in the position that you're in, walking in faith as you do. Um, your position of leadership and influence, people knowing the kinds of experience you've had. I imagine staff, colleagues, customers, um, all may at some point turn to you for advice when they are grappling with life challenges. What would you say is one of the most common pieces of advice that you give to someone who's facing uh, a challenging season in their lives? Well, probably it won't be surprising to you, Coach Linda, because of some things <laughs> I've shared already. But I mm-hmm. I always ask people to, to stop for a moment and pull back uh, as mm-hmm. if you were looking through a lens or a camera. Pull back the aperture. Open it up mm-hmm. and let's look at the situation from a different angle. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there have been so many leadership books written about sort of um, how we can see things from different angles. You know, mm-hmm. as, a, as an athlete playing so many different sports, when you're on the court, the court looks a certain way. When you get up above mm-hmm. the court and you're look, or you're looking down at the field, boy, it looks very different. And so, yes. so many times a problem and a challenge looks a certain way head on. And you have to pull back and look at the left and the right. Most of the conversations that I have with protégés and and, uh, mentors even um, in in the workplace are around uh, challenges on either how to move their career, 
challenges with a mm-hmm. difficult coworker, challenges with a difficult customer, a product launch that's not going well. And boy, you're right there and it's huge in front of you. When you take a step mm-hmm. back, some of the things that, that um, I have always done is put things first in perspective. And that means moving away mm-hmm. from the problem and looking at it differently. A lot of the, you know, Microsoft's been spending a lot of money on neuroscientists to help us understand how the brain works. And one mm-hmm. of the things we're learning about through neuroscience is how we look at issues and how close we are and what happens when we pull back and how to look at yes. something from a different angle. In fact, we're learning that insights come most directly, most uh, beneficially when you're not thinking about the problem at hand. They come when you're thinking on a different topic and the insight mm-hmm. comes. They come when your mind is at rest, not when your mind is active. Yes. So sometimes I try to yes. get people's mind at rest and focused on mm-hmm. something else. The other Beautiful. the other piece, yeah, other than pulling back on the aperture and getting your mind on a different topic is, you know, that, that sort of age-old thing we ask ourselves, really. Let's go to the worst possible scenario. Is this... Is how how bad is worse really, you know? Mm-hmm. If this mm-hmm. really didn't happen, you know, it's it's interesting when your brother's a pilot and a bad day for him is a really bad day. A yeah. bad day for a pilot is a plane crashing and people people not making it possibly. Mm-hmm. A bad day mm-hmm. for someone in my industry might be the share price dropping. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. let's put it in perspective. You know, my mm-hmm. adopted brother is a is a trauma surgeon. A bad day for him has a very different outcome than yeah. my bad day. So you've got yeah. to put things in perspective and allow some family and friends to get in your inner space, to look you in the eye and help you if you're starting to get so close to the issue that helps you put it in perspective. That at the end of the day, you're probably still living within the top 10% on the planet in terms of access Mm -hmm. to resources. So let's take a deep breath here and exhale, get perspective, and now come back at it when your mind's at rest, focus on something else. And it's amazing when you're focused in another direction how answers come, how, how, how they cross, if you will, different areas of your life. Sometimes the answers for work are at home. Sometimes the answers for home can come from a work experience and, and vice versa. So, so I, I, I tend to focus on perspective first, mm-hmm. distance mm-hmm. from the issue, quieting the mind, and then really making sure that you separate out, you know, the ego from the issue. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's our ego that's caught up. We, we may be part of the problem because we've got our whole <laughs> ego. The, you know, our, the solution is ours. We're the author of the solution, and someone's trying to take something from me or somebody's trying. And, boy, if you, or we're taking it personally, can you believe what they did to me? And at the end of the yeah. day, if you just pulled ego out of it, is it still a huge issue? It still could be. Yeah. But how much of it is, is what we fueled through ego? And that's a hard step mm-hmm. to take, but we have to take it. Or we generally can't get to the bottom of things until we pull ego out. We can be totally blinded when, when our egos are wounded, can't we? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and when I have an totally idea and blinded. you step on my idea, I mean, that's like a child. <laughs> I'm ready to go to war. What? You know, I mean, I'm yes. ready. We're all like that, right? What? What? You're challenging it's me. It's and... true. Oh, sure, and, sure. And weeks and sometimes even months from now, you're still distracted by that 
that person oh, not that's getting your idea. Oh, yes. How, and then you, you start to react to them, right? In fact, the neuroscience says that we create in-group and out-group. And uh, you'll put somebody yes. in your out-group immediately. And then no matter what they do, it really doesn't matter. They're out They can't get back in. And they know they're out-group. <laughs> oh, and you know when you're out-group to somebody else. And, and so if you're aware that, you know, the, the, I love some of the research um, that's been done by Dr. I think it's Dr. David Bray who, who put out some work on um, – Scarf, I think it's status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Those are the five elements that generate energy for people. And across that continuum of those who are looking for some form of status or a lot of the engineers I work with, a lot of certainty they're looking for, some of my sales team Mm -hmm. really looking for autonomy, Uh, you know, some of the folks in marketing looking for relatedness, and then fairness, mm-hmm. almost everybody really, really uh, indexing on fairness. You have to know mm-hmm. that people, people are motivated by different things. And Absolutely. if you're not aware that your motivation might be different from theirs, then you will deal with everybody as if their motivation is exactly yours. And you really have to pull back and say, gosh, you know what? There's a diversity of individuals on this planet. What do mm-hmm. I need to see in a broader way so that I can engage better? Beautifully said. Audience, I certainly hope that you are taking notes because this is the kind of information that I think will just serve you well, Um, maybe even when you're least expected, as you're thinking or maybe pondering possibility for your own lives. Just think about how valuable Tony has described getting perspective when you are in a challenging season or having a, a time that uh, your ego may be injured or maybe even through falsehoods, people are tainting uh, your very reputation and image, how valuable would it be to pull back, get quiet, um, try to look at the situation from a different angle, a different perspective? Uh, I love that advice, Tony. I think that's that's powerful. Hey, something else I wanted to um, be able to have you share with our audience. You've already talked about, you shared a really incredible um, lesson and um, impact when you were part of the Peace Corps. I I recall that you are still supporting the Peace Corps today in some fashion. Um, Tell us how you stay involved with the Peace Corps. Well, you know, it's funny. I was able to host a 30-year reunion of the Peace Corps volunteers that served with me in Gabon at my home in Seattle, and uh, we did that last summer. It was amazing. After 30 years, some I hadn't seen since we had served, really, and it was fantastic <laughs> to come together and to wear our same little outfits, which, of course, thank goodness mine was a muumuu because that, that would have been the only thing I could have fit. <laughs> Uh, into but we to wear our outfits and to make the food like uh, in a Gabonese way. There was a great food we used to eat called kupe kupe, a kind of meat that we uh, that we made, and you know we just shared mm. pictures and shared stories and went around Seattle, went to an African festival there in the city, and just remembered what we learned from the experience. And we've been some of us have been supporting each other for for a number of years since we served. Um, I, I in 
early years out of my service, uh, I used to do uh, presentations at schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools to kind of introduce uh, students to different parts of West Africa and mm-hmm. really help them understand about volunteer service and what it meant to, to go live in a different country. And since then, I've, used, mm-hmm. uh, I've supported uh, the Peace Corps through uh, what the RPCV, which is Return Peace Corps Volunteer Association, and and um, everything from certain days where we all, uh, you know, kind of get together and encourage activism and volunteerism. I sit on the board of United Way and in Seattle, and and, and uh, previously uh, in the national capital area here in D.C. and and really bringing mm-hmm. some of the cross cultural learnings from Peace Corps into into those uh, into those positions. So. I think it's a great organization. Mm-hmm. I appreciated my service. Um, I learned more than I uh, I learned more than I taught. Unquestionably, I received more than I gave. Um, mm-hmm. I realized how American I was, as well as how African American I was, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I I learned uh, the appreciation for other culture. I learned that mm-hmm. in my village. Um, there was no senior citizen home. There was no child care. That was all done through families. Wow. And we get excited about what we've institutionalized in the U.S., but it was pretty interesting mm-hmm. to see an entire system that operated based on family relationship and a belief in a faith system that family would take care of family. And there was something very inspiring about that. And so I've started, you know, I sometimes mm-hmm. challenge first world, third world um, labels, because um, mm-hmm. they can create stereotypes that I think need to be need to be challenged from time to time, and and my yes. stereotypes personally were challenged while I was there. So uh, it was a great time for me. Many people thought, "Gosh, you can't can't afford to get off your career path, and you're going to fall behind your peers." I will tell you that I think that those years of service actually catapulted my career. Um, wow. And uh, so I never, I would tell people, if you have an opportunity to serve, whether that's through military, through National Guard, through through volunteer like Peace Corps mm-hmm. or others, mm-hmm. don't be concerned that that is necessarily going to hurt your earning potential and career. You mm-hmm. pray on it and and uh, trust that trust that that opportunity can reap benefits that are both tangible and, and, and intangible that could easily mm-hmm. uh, affect you later, later in life. So it was a great, it was a great yeah. time in, in my life. Amen. Let me give out the number again to our listeners in case there's someone who would like to get in on our conversation. Audience, if you'd like to um, make a comment or ask a question, you can call us at one six four six. We'd love to have you join us. We have someone on the line, but I think they are in listening mode. I'm going to pop over and see if they'd like to make a comment. Um, Call her at 814-PREFIX. I'm 814 area code. If you'd like to make a comment, go ahead. Just mute your yeah, uh, just mute your line and yes. Hello, caller.
Okay, I believe it's somebody in listen-only mode. So I'm going to say caller at 814 uh, area code. If you'd like to make a uh, comment, please just dial us back on 646-716-9397. I say that because they've been with us on the phone most of the broadcast. Um, Tony, I... um, I feel that you have just planted so many rich, rich ideas um, here today. Oh, I think my favorite caller is on the line now. Hold one second. Let's take a call from uh, 703-887-PREFIX. Go ahead. You're on with us live. Press 1. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi. Favorite caller? Hello. <laughs> Hello, Tony. Hello, good afternoon. Hi, how are you, favorite caller? <laughs> I'm doing well, doing well. I'm just, um, I tell you, your your conversation with Coach Linda has just, just immensely lifted me, you know, quite a bit. And, and I, I would hope that, you know, a lot of other men are listening uh, to the conversation today and will listen later. And I, I want to ask you a question. What, what, what advice? Uh, you know, uh, would you recommend to to us men to just just be aware of 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 the the power of the power of, of women uh, in, in our days and times? What what can you give us? Oh, I love that question! Wow, what a fabulous question! Um, I will tell you, favorite caller, that uh, women uh, we see women across the continuum from I call it mm-hmm. from classroom to boardroom. Uh, and they're, they're really finding their voice. And I, the first thing I would say is making sure that you are always part of supporting women in, in having their own voice. It's okay. such an important part of women in their development as leaders is having their own voice, being able to cultivate that voice, being able to speak with their own voice, Mm-hmm. And being able mm-hmm. to defend their own positions, and I think I thank so many, uh, so many of my mentors, my male mentors, who mm-hmm. have really coached me on uh, sustaining, cultivating my own voice, my own point of right. view, my perspective, and not right. always yielding that to the sort of the greater collective. Um, that's Excellent. something that I think you can support women all the way through, from young women all the way through. It's also interesting, mm-hmm. I say this in technology because we have really such, um, we, we've seen the numbers go down actually for women in comp sci in terms of the degrees. And, and even wow. though computers and, and, and technology are underpinning other industries, you know, financial, technology, biotech, uh, so many manufacturing, and yet one of the things we know is that women are still not as representative on the creation of technology as they are on the consumption of technology. And so mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. that I always, always being supportive of and in fact encouraging women through the creative process, not just mm-hmm. the consumption process of whatever the industry that you're in, this creative design process is where we need to see more women, quite frankly, and where sometimes women, and we know this through research on girls, they, they can be discouraged discouraged early mm-hmm. that that's a guy thing or it's a geek thing yes. or it's not cool. And so yes. when you fall in love with a geek and let everybody know you're in love with a geek, it's a great way to let, <laughs> let other men know how to support women in the creative process. And when they're in fields that they don't see a lot of men, when you're that yes. man in the room, 
you don't yeah. have to over you don't have to overcompensate, but just right. be aware of uh, as they capture their voice and as they articulate that voice. I think that's probably what I hear most from women along along the path that their power so much of that power is in their voice and their ability to articulate. Mm-hmm. Um, their ability to, you know, validate and, and various things. Um, I think those are really, really important as well as this design piece because that's where I see a, a real lack, uh, unfortunately, of women uh, in the workforce. And, mm-hmm. look, I think the, the research has indicated um, that behind a lot of very, very strong women, one of the correlations they found in terms of women in leadership is the relationship with their father. Interestingly yes. enough, yes. and yes. so that that father daughter relationship is so critical, and whether it's yes. a father daughter blood relationship or a father stepfather daughter or a, a father mm-hmm. figure daughter, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a role that men can play to to assist women significantly. Well, thank Love you, that. thank you, thank you. I, I do hope that that many. Of, and my gender have, have, have been to school today with what you've just told us. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so it was much, good talking Ryan. to you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you Goodbye. so much. Goodbye. Okay, we have um, our caller back, 814 area code, 846 prefix. Press 1 and you're on live with us. Huh. Come on. There you go. Yes. Yeah, I was having Bluetooth issues. <laughs> Sorry. I understand. <laughs> go ahead, caller. Yeah. Uh, hello, this is Greg from Pennsylvania. Uh, I had a oh. question. Well, actually, I'll try to limit it to one. But uh, okay. I was really interested in in just, uh, you know, country by country. Uh, I remember watching the interview with Bill Gates talking about you know, certain countries, uh, you get just a lot better return for dollar. And uh, my my question is, or comment, it's like I know if you give, let's say, an American a lawn, okay, they will they'll mow it. They won't grow food. And uh, if there's anything edible, like let's say because weeds are edible, greens, uh, they'll poison it, okay. Uh, whereas <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there are other countries where when you give, uh, let's say, when you make a donation, for example, they'll build the house out of natural materials, and you just might have to help out with buying windows. Or, yeah. you know, they'll garden. They'll, they'll really make the most use of it. Or it just seems like there are certain people, uh, myself included, where sometimes if you give them something, it becomes a liability. You know, just... Uh, mm. Like a, a, let's say a, a home that you constantly have to pump it full of fossil fuels, so that mm. you know, so it's free, or a, a lawn that will always be mowed, always be well groomed, always consume fossil fuels, but never be used as a garden. And I was wondering, uh, mm. any any comment on that or? Uh, no, I, I. It's very interesting your your point on return on investment and. What kind mm-hmm. of return on whether it be sustainable, sustainable approaches to energy, the environment, agriculture. When I'm traveling around the world, I do find that there are pockets 
and sometimes there's a cultural affinity towards knowing how to uh, invest in sustainable ways and knowing how to, quite frankly, handle the environment in sustainable ways. One of the things that we found is that, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa where we do some micro-lending to small women farmers, and they have just done some wonderful work that is truly sustainable in terms of how they manage uh, their crop. We have found in in the energy grid in Dubai, for example, where um, in the Middle East, where they have such, they're in, you know, very sort of landlocked areas. They're very, very adept at using the power grid and using new technologies for that power grid. And so you get this amazing return on investment from Abu Dhabi to Dubai and parts of uh, parts of the Middle East through Saudi um, around that investment uh, because of the, the ways that they're open to new technologies. Uh, we find in the Nordics that uh, whether it be, you know, Norway or Finland or Sweden, when we're in the Nordic countries, this, this idea of, of how to use um, uh, marine energy and, and sort of agropower and different forms of the power grid really some unique things that are occurring there. So innovation is occurring around the world. I don't know if I would say the U.S. is, you know, for every dollar spent, we, you know, we're not good. We, we don't give a good ROI. There are parts of the U.S. where we get an amazing ROI for technology and emerging technologies. But, but I do think that certain parts of the world have a stronger affinity. Sometimes if they were uh, an agricultural base um, and they're mm-hmm. in a certain climate they seem to sometimes get a different return on that investment. Uh, India, for farmers, we have a great uh, – we're using data and analytics to figure out when to sow and when's the best time to sow. And you've got these young farmers that are willing to use technology to determine when they sow and, and when, they, when they reap their harvest. And, and so they're just open to it. Culturally, they're open to it. Mm. So there are parts of the world where you see different sort of different technologies take root and maybe with with the Bill Gates comment, uh, Bill travels quite a bit, Mr. Gates, around the world, and he too is is sort of uh, out there speaking to how technology can can have an impact. So he probably has a similar perspective. Mm-hmm. But thank you for thank the question you. or for the comment. Caller, thank yeah, that's you. Great. Thanks for thank you for joining us. Um, we may have time for uh, one more call if there's someone out there who has something they want to share or a question they want to ask. Uh, join us at one six four six seven one six nine three nine seven. 716 7169397 Tony, I think it's just been a remarkable uh, look and discussion just a couple of other things that I would love to have a, a chance to ask you about for our audience. Um, what are you doing? I, I think your work, of course, demands this and and provides the opportunity for, but what do you do um, for yourself to continue to grow as a leader, to continue to be creative, to continue to dwell in possibility? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, uh, Linda. I, I look. I think this idea of refreshing, uh, sort of mm-hmm. resharpening the resharpening the tools here, 
is important, this idea of rejuvenation. And for me, one, I get a lot of energy from my family. Uh, I do. I enjoy mm, them. Okay. I enjoy my husband. I enjoy my children. Um, I enjoy my parents and, and siblings. I, I just spending time with them, hanging out with friends, and, and really we, we kind of have a communal way that we enjoy each other with lots of food, mm-hmm. probably too much of that, but lots of food and <laughs> and just time to again let the let the let the um let the brain just quiet, just quiet and focus mm-hmm. in other areas. That's a big rejuvenation for me. I also like mm-hmm. I I love writing. I've I've always been writing. Uh, you heard in the bio I'm still on my 10-year screenplay project, probably 20-year project at this point, but <laughs> I've got many writing projects that that I have sort of ongoing. I normally keep at least four or five writing projects going at a time because uh, wow. I, I can't keep my focus on any one that long. So I'm, I'm sort of bouncing across different writing projects. I love to travel. I do a lot of travel with work. So when I'm traveling outside of work, it's less about seeing a place. It's more about being with people that I enjoy in a place. And so I try to set uh, lots of trips to just bring family and friends together. I find that quite rejuvenating. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere near uh, some physical beauty, uh, whether it be water, being by the water, being in the mountains, always looking for an off-the-beat, you know, off-the-beaten-path place to just mm-hmm. enjoy something unique. I love being surprised by things, and so I purposely put myself in positions to be surprised. I, I, odd little things that I do. I purposely take a different path to work. I purposely sit in a different chair. I purposefully, um, uh, you know, wear something different that I haven't worn in a long time. I purposefully meet somebody I don't know and purposely Mm -hmm. go up to a stranger and, or, you know, speak in a, speak in a foreign language to see how people will react to me or whatever it is. I try (laughs) to build surprises into my day. And so that I'm always seeing something different. And it helps to fuel some of the writing as well because um, I seem to need Love to have, that. yeah, some variety to, to have things to write about. So enjoy all that. Uh, you know, church Love being that. active is important too. So, yep, all of that is my rejuvenation. Mm. I love that idea of just doing things differently. It keeps you stimulated or it stimulates other parts mm-hmm. of your of your brain and and um, your psyche, doesn't it? Oh yes. Oh well, yes. You know the other thing I was going to ask about was your screenplay. Just give us a little peek inside <laughs> of that, please. A little peek. <laughs> well, you know, years ago, years and years ago, I went to the African Museum, uh, Smithsonian, and mm-hmm. I saw a presentation there about uh, a group of people, a culture called the Ball People. Uh, B-A-U-L-E is how it's spelled, the ball, the ball culture in, um, from West Africa, from Sierra Leone. And as mm-hmm. I did, and it was so interesting, and in the ball culture there is a concept of heaven, which is called Bololo. And in this concept, um, the people in their current situation, if they are not pleased or if the, all of the the disappointments, the daily disappointments of the current culture, maybe with your marriage or your children or your job, mm-hmm. you're able to you're able to um, actually depict in a wood carving all that you want in the afterlife, all that you want in Bololo. 
you can put it in your carving. If you're married to somebody who's heavy, maybe you're carving to someone who's thin. Maybe it's if you feel like you've, you're in you're living an impoverished life, you're carving to someone with great wealth. So you put all huh. of that disappointment into the carving. And this is how they sustain the current life with the desire for the afterlife, by putting all of this uh, into the carving. And they carve throughout their adult lives, and they continue to polish. And so the carving is actually then with them in the funeral process where they are buried is with the carving. So it's a belief that wow. you can affect your afterlife. Um, and you can also, it also helps them sustain. There's no such thing as divorce in, in the ball tradition. There's no such thing as, you know, uh, dysfunctional family because all of your disappointments, you're just addressing those in your carving. I found it to be hmm. incredibly interesting. Uh, and so the name of my screenplay is actually Belolo. It's a story about uh, an African couple and an African-American couple. It's a love story. But what it is to take that idea and put it in a current mm -hmm. context with two couples that are uh, in challenged marriages and how they handle it. So yeah, it's called Belolo. Wow. That's something <laughs> I had never heard about you. That, that sounds uh, very intriguing. You know, I thought about dwelling possibility for a moment when I talked about them putting all of their disappointment in, in carving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's an interesting concept, yeah. but I really wanted to see an African-American love story that was told mm. with a, an African uh, an African heritage part of it, but also told in a very fresh and contemporary way. And so that's what I've been working mm. on a little bit. Mm -hmm. How cool. Um, I want to ask one of the my favorite questions to ask guests is, um, and it's kind of loaded, but <clears throat> just what story would you like for your life to tell, Tony Towns Whitley? You know, I, I, I actually will cheat and say that I did think about this. Um, question, not because you were going to pose it, but it was posed to me in a different way um, maybe about a year ago, actually. And yeah. initially, it was posed in terms of what did I want my legacy at Microsoft to be? I think I was interviewed and, and someone had asked me that. And I think mm -hmm. the answer I gave is, is the answer not for Microsoft, but the answer for Tony. And so I think it's, mm -hmm. still, it's still relevant, but I really just gave I guess three words, but, but I'll make it six words to put some context. I, I, really, um, I really want, if, if, if people were to look back and say, what, what would you describe Tony or what was the life she led? I want, I want mm -hmm. to love fiercely. I believe in that there's mm -hmm. something about love that has an energy to it. And when I say my mother was a mother warrior, you know, this idea of loving fiercely, um, mm. I want to live fearlessly. And I believe they're connected. I, I believe that mm. when you live without fear, you can love fiercely, that there's a connection. How beautiful. To live fearlessly. I don't want to live with fear of regret, fear of. Mm -hmm. Fear of mistake, fear of mm -hmm. external validation, fear of insecurity, fear. So live fearlessly, mm -hmm. lo love fiercely. And then I want to 
I really want to learn forgiveness. And and I say that I've been on a constant journey on learning forgiveness because I believe it's a journey. We say the mm-hmm. words, and when mm-hmm. I really think about what the ultimate that I want to be able to do is I want to be able to truly forgive, forgive myself at times, mm-hmm. forgive others. I think it's the ultimate mm-hmm. of love is forgiveness. And so yeah. I, I always talk about being fearless, being forgiving, and being and and being fierce, you know this idea of fierce, fearless, and forgiving are are the words that I've shared with my team. They have a context in the business realm. They have a context mm-hmm. in the personal realm. That I really yes. want to love this fiercely, and I want to live fearlessly, and I want to learn this forgiveness thing. And if I can get all three of those, hey, that's that's enough of the legacy for me. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just thankful <laughs> to the Lord and I'm done. All done. That is so beautifully said. That is so beautifully said. Tony, it has been such an honor to have you as my guest. For you to take time out of your demanding schedule to be here is, it's been priceless. You talk about dwelling in possibility. It has just been um, a very, very special hour. What you shared will be helpful to every listener, I'm sure. And I pray will result in listeners making inspired choices in their own lives. Let me ask you before we go, Tony, do you have any shout-outs? Oh, of course, I have to shout out to my wonderful husband in Seattle, if he's listening. I have to <laughs> shout out to my parents, Jim and Yvonne in Las Vegas, if they're listening. I shout out to my kids who are all over the place, and I hope they're listening, um, and my grandkids, if they are still listening, um, But and, and just to so many friends and, and, and family, I just... Uh, I love my uh, my Antioch Church family. Uh, I love yeah. you all, and uh, and my fa- my church family at City Church in in Kirkland, Washington. I just I just love you as well. So so yeah, it's uh it's it's been a great community uh, to be a part of, and I thank you for this opportunity, Coach Linda, and and just encourage oh. you to keep doing what you're doing. You're a blessing to this community. Oh, thank you, thank you so so much. Um, I want to give a shout out before we close. I want to give a shout out to every woman out there who dares to dwell in possibility. Keep going. Don't stop. And before we close, ladies out there, if you or someone you know is facing a season of change in your life, if you're stuck trying to figure out your next steps, consider Christian Life Coaching. You can go to my website, www.lindastevensjones.com. That's Stevens with a PH. Go to my website, lindastevensjones.com, for information. There are client testimonials there. You can also sign up for a complimentary discovery session with me. To my wonderful community of listeners and callers, thank you. And I hope you heard something from us today that encouraged you. 
Please remember to share the link in your networks for the show replay and mark your calendars to tune in for our next broadcast as we continue to celebrate Women's History Month on Tuesday, March 21st, right here at 12 noon with my amazing guest, Miss Loretta Penn. Until then, stay blessed.